Welcome to our Wednesday Bible study of the book of Exodus. We have finally come to this chapter and this lesson in which we're going to look at the actual crossing of the Red Sea. Now, technically I've labeled this as Exodus 13 and 14, and 13 is going to kind of serve as a little bit of a, of a bridge. We're not going to look at the entire chapter, but we're just going to kind of look at a few highlights of it. The most things um, that really is covered that in chapter 13 is kind of the fact about the firstborn, how it's going to be uh, set aside to God. Now that means if it's an animal, it's going to be sacrificed. If it's a person, it's going to be dedicated to God. And all of this is laid out in Exodus chapter 13. Even beginning in verse 1, you start to realize why the firstborn are set aside. The Lord spoke to Moses, set apart to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites, whether human or animal, it is mine. So this is going to, this chapter is going to bridge the gap between the previous chapter, which all the firstborn of the Egyptians died, but all the firstborn of the Israelites survived. Well, now those that survived, they're supposed to be set aside, dedicated to the Lord in some way. And there's, just like with the Passover festival, there was that teaching moment. Well, there's a teaching moment in all this as well. When we look on down a few verses later, verses 14 through 16, we find that teaching moment. When the, in the future, when your son asks you, what is it? You are to tell him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to release us, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of people to the firstborn of animals. That is why I am sacrificing to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb, but all my firstborn sons I redeem. It will be for a sign on your hand and on your frontlets and on your forehead, for with a mighty hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Once again, it's this teaching moment that children are going to learn the Lord brought them through, the Lord is the one who delivered them. And in this chapter, we start to see that the Lord is actually leading them out of the land of Egypt. This is whenever the, the exodus, kind of a, the exiting of uh, Egypt officially kind of starts right here. And we also find out that God cares uh, about them. When you look at verses uh, 17 and following, you know, you find out that God actually cares and he doesn't want, he's, he's careful where he sends them. He doesn't want to send them to where they're going to experience war and just kind of lose heart. He, he tries to send them in a way that will um, just kind of allow them to remain in, in him and having that faith in him. And he guides them all along the way. Look at verses 21 and 22. Now the Lord was going on before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them in the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel day or night. He did not remove the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So God was with them in a very visual way. And this, this cloud of, well, pillar of cloud, then the pillar of fire, it was leading them. It was this, this presence of God. Everyone knew that God was with them. And with this statement, we turn the page and we find out Exodus chapter 14. This is the chapter that we've been waiting for. This is probably one of the most well-known chapters uh, of this book. And right here we see one of the, the grandest things that, that happens. You know, this the, uh, the Red Sea, it is parted, the walls of water. It's just kind of, it's an amazing chapter and it's wonderful for us to take a look at. So let's begin all the way back in verse one and let's read this uh, chapter together. 
verses 1 through 4. The Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites that they may that they must turn and camp before Pi Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea. You are to camp by the sea before uh, Baal Zephon, opposite it. Pharaoh will think regarding the Israelites, they are wandering around and are confused in the land. The desert has closed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase, chase after them. I will gain honor because of Pharaoh and because of all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So this is what they did. So here already, you kind of already see what's going to happen. And you find out that, okay, God's not done yet. He is still going to reveal his glory. That That's the reason why he's still hardening Pharaoh's heart. It's kind of interesting that we are still seeing this language right here in this chapter because you're thinking, okay, the ten plagues are over. Why is he still hardening his heart? Look at it. The whole reason is whenever his heart is hardened, he's going to chase after them. When he chases after them, that's whenever God's glory is and God's honor is going to be revealed because of what he's going to do with Pharaoh and with all of the Egyptians. And they did exactly what... Uh, they were supposed to do, as we see several times in, in this uh, this book of Exodus leading up to this point. Verses 5 through 7. When it was reported to the king of Egypt that the people had fled, the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And the king and his servants said, What in the world have we done? For we have released the people of Israel from serving us. Then he prepared his chariots and took his army with him. He took 600 select chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt, and officers on all of them. He means business. He has prepared for this moment. He is sending everyone out to chase after them because they're wondering, what in the world have we done? Verses 8 through 12. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the Israelites. Now the Israelites were going out defiantly. The Egyptians chased after them, and all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army overtook them, camping by the sea, beside uh, Pi Haroth, before Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh got closer, the Israelites looked, and there were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified. The Israelites cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, it is, because, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the desert? What in the world have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we can serve the Egyptians because it is better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. This is where I start to be amazed at how the Israelites respond. And, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we respond the same way that the Israelites are doing. I mean, this is God is doing everything for them. He's helping them along the way. Yes, times are difficult. Times have been difficult. I mean, they've been enslaved in Egypt for years, for, for generations. God did something to bring them out. And now they're complaining. They're like, well, you know, what are you doing? Why are you leading us out here? Wouldn't it have been better if we just died in Egypt than to just come out here and then die uh, in the desert instead? You know, or rather not just die in Egypt, but also just serve the Egyptians in Egypt rather than die in this desert. And it, it's just kind of, it's amazing that they're already complaining. Now, uh, another thing that uh, is kind of interesting, and I sort of overlooked this in verse 8, um, the uh, the Net Bible, the way that it translates it is, now the Israelites were going out defiantly. Uh, there's a little footnote in this, uh, this, this Bible here that talks about how in the Hebrew, it literally means 
with a high hand. You know, so if you if you want to know kind of the type of image that we see, it's this this victor. You know, the one who has victory and is is, is putting his his fist up. You know, has a high hand and everything is going great. That's how we actually kind of see them uh, leaving uh, Egypt. And in fact, uh, even more with the notes there, it actually says that the phrase is usually used for arrogant sin and pride. Um, but yet, you know, here it's it's not really being used like that. It's just kind of that's how it oftentimes is. Uh, and that's why we see that it's, you know, like defiantly and stuff. But they're leaving here. They know that this is a great victory. But yet just a few verses later, you know, you got this great victory. Then a few verses later, they're complaining. And they also say something that is kind of news to us. In verse 12, they say, isn't this what we told you in Egypt? So apparently they've been complaining the whole time. See, sometimes the Bible doesn't always tell us everything along the way. So yeah, apparently there's been some complaints even in the land of Egypt. Uh, but they exit. You know, they they still go and they still are uh, are following Moses. And that's what they continue to do. So let's keep reading now. Verses 13 through 18, Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord that he will provide for you today. For the Egyptians that you see today, you will never, ever see again. The Lord will fight for you and you can be still. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on and as for you, lift up your staff and extend your hand toward the sea and divide it so that the Israelites may go through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And as for me, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians, that they will come after them, that I may be honored because of Pharaoh and his army and his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I have gained my honor because of Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Here we see once again, why is God doing this? Why does God have all this plan? Well, he tells Moses, you know, even early on, you know, he's telling him exactly what he's going to do. So it's not like Moses was just kind of experiencing these things and being like, well, I don't know what to do next. So I'm just going to throw my hands up and then, you know, the water's going to part. No, he already knew that the sea was going to be divided. I mean, that's what's stated right here. So, so, so far in this chapter, we're about halfway through. So far in this chapter, what we've seen is all these kind of instructions about how it's going to go down. And this is what we've seen in, in previous times, too. God tells how it's going to happen, and then we see it happen exactly like what God says. A few things that we do see, of course, this is a moment when salvation comes. The word salvation, uh, it shows up here in verse 13 right there. You know, uh, Moses is trying to encourage him and saying, you know, don't fear. Don't be afraid of this. Just see the salvation that God is coming in. And then verse 14, I think is important for us at times to remember. The Lord will fight for you and you can be still. You know, we might know it a little bit more famously, like be still and know that I am God. He's giving them the same advice here to be still and let God do his thing. Deliverance is coming. Salvation is coming. They're going to see it. And also just a little bit of a mention here, verse 16, we see that staff showing up again. That staff is kind of this symbol about what is, is going to happen and how he is leading the Israelites uh, out of the land of Egypt here. Verses 19 through 22. The angel of God who was going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian camp 
and the Israelite camp. It was a dark cloud and it lit up the night so that one camp could not uh, come near the other the whole night. Moses stretched out his hand toward the sea and the Lord drove the sea apart by a strong east wind all that night. And he made the sea into dry land and the water was divided. So the Israelites went through the middle of the sea on dry ground, the water forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Could you imagine what that would have looked like? You know, the sight that you could see. I, I love some of these movies that uh, that you might see. I, I'm thinking maybe some of these uh, these animated ones. Uh, there's a movie that has a really cool portrayal of it. It's called The Prince of Egypt, um, and it's an animated movie. And then there's also one that's just called The, the Ten Commandments, and both of them um, you know, it's it's cartoons, but they portray this wall of water in, in really cool things. And I, I can't remember exactly which one does what. You know, one of them, the movies kind of does something a little little funny with one of the, the young girls who is, is crossing. I think she kind of sticks her head through the wall of water and then kind of, of course, she has to hold her breath. But she just kind of looks around and she sees the fish. And it's just kind of a really cool moment. And then on another one, I think they do like a little bit of lightning or something. And you see the outline of a whale. On this wall of water but you know what would it have looked like you know maybe you think about uh, at least I do a lot of times going to an aquarium and just looking at a huge wall of, of water that you can see all the fish within I wonder how much of that would have happened and I wonder what it would have looked like to actually kind of walk through this because you know at that moment this is not natural to see these you know the, the walls of water that you were crossing in between I mean none of this is really natural even though, let me point this out though. Um, yes, this is a miracle. Of course it's a miracle. Without a doubt, it is a miracle. But do you notice how God does it? I mean, look at verse 21. Uh, Moses stretched out his hand. Okay, there's no way that Moses has enough power to do anything at all about this. Okay, he can't, he can't affect the sea. Uh, he stretched out his hand toward the sea and the Lord drove the sea apart by a strong east wind all that night. Also, maybe the image, uh, at least what I see from this, that image that we might have from, you know, even the famous uh, older film of the, the Ten Commandments with uh, Charlton Heston and all. That that moment in which it just kind of instantly happens that, that Moses raises up his staff and then the, the waters just part right there before you. It makes a great movie. And I think it's, you know, it, it, it's great. I think that's wonderful. But whenever we actually read what happened, it's this strong east wind that comes. All that night. So it was something that... To create this dry ground and to create the wall of water, it happened all night long. Now that's that's a little bit less uh, kind of cool whenever you're trying to make a movie, of course, but it doesn't change the fact that God is the one that's doing this. I mean, it's amazing that they were able to walk on the seabed as if it was dry land and then the walls of water on either side. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's a wonderful miracle. But God actually uses something quite natural in order to do it, even though really what he does, of course, is something supernatural through it. But he uses natural things. And sometimes we need to be aware of that in the miracles that God uses. Sometimes it is just kind of the, the uh, normal type things. But with God, even the normal is more than just normal. It's the supernormal whenever he is involved. So, of course... Let's keep reading and we'll see what happens. Verses 22 through 25. The Egyptians chased them and followed them into the middle of the sea, all the horses of Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. In the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army through the pillar of fire and cloud 
and he threw the Egyptian army into a panic. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's flee from Israel, for the Lord fights for them against Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, extend your hand toward the sea so that the waters may flow back on the Egyptians, on their chariots and on their horsemen. So Moses extended his hand toward the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state when the sun began to rise. Now the Egyptians were fleeing before it, but the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the middle of the sea. The water returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh that was coming after the Israelites into the sea. Not so much as one of them survived. But the Israelites walked on dry ground in the middle of the sea, the water forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel on that day from the power of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the shore of the sea. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord had exercised over the Egyptians, they feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Isn't this a wonderful way that we, we end this chapter and we see this deliverance, this salvation that God provides? Uh, for the Israelites and away from the Egyptians, how he conquered the Egyptians, we see that God's glory is revealed in this. God receives honor from this because he shows his power. He shows his might. And they noticed it. The Lord saves. The Lord overthrew the Egyptians, verse 27. The Lord saves, verse 30. We see how he saves in verse 29. We've already looked at this, but of course, they're, they're walking through the middle of the sea just as if it was dry uh, ground. Well, it was dry ground. And then the wall of water on their right and on their left. That's how God shows his might. And then we see a very proper response in verse 31. When, the, when Israel saw the great power that the Lord had exercised over the Egyptians, what did they do? They feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now, this is like a wonderful highlight the book. It's so wonderful that we see that, yes, they were complaining before, but you know now we kind of see that they're, they're going back to that victory. They recognize that God has given them this victory here. They fear the Lord. They believe the Lord. They trust in the Lord. And they also are uh, believing in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Isn't that wonderful that, that Moses you know, could be called a servant of God? I believe that's something that we could all strive to be called ourselves, is a servant of God, working with God, and being, you know, God's hand and his feet in the earth, because that's exactly the, the role that Moses plays in the story. And that's also the role that God would like for us to play as well, is to be his servant, his faithful servant, and faithfully follow him in all that he asks us, no matter if he asks us to do something small or something big. Moses was a servant, and we can learn from his example.